you ever have a favorite toy as a kid? You ever have a favorite toy as a kid? I had one growing up. Uh, I remember I had this toy. It was a little stuffed animal. Uh, and uh, I'll, just, I'll just be honest with you. I can't really remember his real name. And I called my mom this morning or, or this week. I said, man, do you remember the stuffed animal? She remembered the stuffed animal. I remember the stuffed animal. We couldn't remember the name. So this is what we're going to call it, okay? I'm taking a little evangelistic license here. Uh, in the name of the Lord, of course. Uh, Rover the Radio Pup was this little toy dog, a little stuffed animal dog I had. He had a, a zipper right here, and he had a radio inside of him, and two little, two little knobs came out of his chest. It was cool. With one, you could turn, him, turn it on the radio and adjust the volume. With the other one, you could tune in different stations. And I, I loved Rover the Radio Pup. I played with that dog like, like nobody's business. Um, so much so, I remember his legs starting to rip off, rip off at times and mom having to sew them back together. I, I, I broke the radio. I mean, I destroyed the thing. I don't know how. Taking it in and out probably or whatnot. The radio broke. And so then we had to zip up the little holes where the knobs came out. The zipper broke. Stuffing came out. I mean, I cannot tell you. And every time it broke, I was like, no, Rover. Come on, you ever have a toy like that? You know? And I would take, I'd take Rover, cause he was, he was a radio pop. And I would take Rover, mom! Look what happened to Rover! No, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And she'd, she, we'd, we'd stuff more stuffing back into him, and she'd sew him back up, and, and she'd return him, and, 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 and every, it seemed like every time that I broke Rover, mom was able to bring him back from the dead. Oh, and it felt so good. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? When you get your toy back from the dead. Come on, come on. Somebody praise Jesus. Woo, all right. Forgetting something back from the dead. As a kid, when your favorite toy broke, that meant the end of fun, right? <laughs> that when, when the thing was busted, when the thing when the thing died, it meant that there was no more. It meant a death to that season. Your favorite toy is broken now. You can't play that game anymore. You can't whatever. You can't have your friends over and enjoy this anymore. And, and there's something about when a thing dies, something that's precious to us that dies, I think because of, of how we grow up and the experiences that we have as kids, we begin to look at when things begin to break and things begin to die in our lives, we begin to look at it as a negative thing. We begin to think that, man, I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna get anywhere near death. And so, you know, so what do we do? We, we, we lift, we nip, we tuck, we take our vitamins, we take our pills, we go organic, right? We lift weights, we run, we train. I was talking to somebody the other day that they're, they, they, they go to the gym and their trainer has them carry five gallon buckets. I'm thinking, you, you paying someone to tell you to carry buckets? But I mean, we do these things all so that we can be healthy, all because our, our mentality from these things that happen as, as kids we don't want things to die. And so we, we begin to develop this mindset where I'm not going to, I'm, I'm living out of a motivation to avoid death. To avoid the things in my life running down, breaking, and dying. And that's not a bad thing, really. I mean, 
Hello, I hope you put your seatbelt on every time you get in the car. That's, that's a good motivation, right? I like the windshield. I like to look through it, not fly through it. Right? We teach our kids, hey, look both ways before you cross the street. I mean, there's good motivation in that, right? We are avoiding something that could be dangerous. The problem is, in the Christian life, we take that mindset into our lives sometimes, and we, we, we try to live for God from the motivation of avoiding things dying. Our motivation can, can so quickly turn to, well, Lord, Lord, I just, I want to, I want to avoid death, because death means the end of the fun. Death means the end of the season. I no longer get to enjoy this anymore. The Bible is pretty clear that the Christian life is not motivated from an avoidance of death. Now, let me be real clear when I talk about death this morning. I mean, we just found out someone's father died. This morning, I'm not, I'm not so much talking about physical death. All right? When Rover died, he wasn't a real thing. He was just something in me that brought some joy to me. So when I talk about things dying this morning, I want your minds to be on hopes. I want your minds to be on dreams. I want your minds to be on possibly relationships in your lives, financial situations, things like that in our lives that we find ourselves sometimes facing and it seems like they're breaking and, God forbid, maybe dying. Can you track with me this morning? Okay, so as we talk this morning, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 21. And so we'll be speaking this morning about coming back from the dead. Back from the dead. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. The Bible tells us, when Jesus had recrossed in the boat to the other side, a great throng gathered about him, and he was at the lake shore. Then one of the rulers of the synagogue came up, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he prostrated himself at his feet, and he begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd kept following him and pressed him from all sides so as almost to suffocate him. Then jump down to verse 35. Now while he was still speaking, there came some from the ruler's house who said to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why bother and distress the teacher any further? We all experience various types of death in our lives, don't we? How many of you remember maybe the first time your, your girlfriend broke up with you and you experienced a type of death in your heart? The first time you really experienced great disappointment in life and it felt like you were dying inside. The first time you were mistreated lied about, the first time some sort of crisis happened that 
everything that had been secure in your life before up until this point, now everything's being shaken. You feel like it's at the point of death. Can you identify with Jairus, this, this father who's coming up to Jesus? He's heard the stories. He, he, he's, heard all, he's heard all the rumors about what Jesus has been doing. And his, his daughter, the thing that is so precious to him in life, is near death. And so out of a motivation to avoid death, he runs to Jesus and says, Jesus, would you come? And Jesus says, sure. But now we see in the story, verse 35 tells us that in the process of going, people come from the house and say, don't bother Jesus anymore, Jairus. Your daughter's dead. You ever been in that situation where life throws you a curveball? Seems like everything's taken a drastic turn for the worse. You ever been at that point of death? Maybe not physically speaking. But you've ever been at that point where you're looking at the checkbook? You're looking at the overdrafts? And you're looking at the bills? And you're at that point of death? I've been at that point. I can remember when I was a kid, probably five or six years old, my dad, his work, sent him to go work at another, at another power plant. And I can remember my parents sitting me down there in the living room telling me that, like, you know, daddy's going to be leaving. And he's not leaving because he doesn't want to be your daddy or anything like that. He's leaving because his work is telling him he has to work at this other, in this other town now. And so you're only going to see daddy like every other weekend. And I can remember, I can remember feeling like my whole world was crashing to an end. Like, you can't take my dad from me. My, my little mind couldn't comprehend the situation. I couldn't understand that my dad was doing this to keep providing for me. All I knew is I felt like, I'm dying inside. God, this isn't right. I can identify with this ruler, this father. I can identify with Jairus. I remember when Joel was born, my first son. Born with a cord wrapped around his neck. The doctor hands him to the nurse. The nurse runs him, puts him under the little light. Now a baby, when they're born, is supposed to scream and wail and be, make a whole lot of noise. And Joel didn't make a sound. I remember my wife laying there. She's in here and I had followed Joel over here thinking everything was going to be awesome. I'm about to come and bring our son and say, here's our son. And, and the nurse with Joel saying, uh, doctor, I need you over here. He's, he's not breathing very well. And I can remember the nurse, the, the, the doctor saying, nurse, I need you over here. I can't stop the bleeding. And my parents and her parents are in the room and, and I'm torn. Do, do I go to my wife? Do I go to my son? Where do I go? And I'm, I, I can't reach both of them. I can't hold both of them. And, and, and I touch Joel and this little tiny hand wraps around my pinky. And so I just stretch out this hand and all you hear in that room is the, the hum of five people praying in tongues while a nurse is frantic and a doctor is frantic. 
I can identify with Jairus being at the point of death. Can you? The reality is that we all experience different things in our lives that, that die. How many of you are still best friends with your fifth grade buddy? I mean, we know it. We understand it. We're adults. Yeah, we don't like to talk about it because death means the end of a thing. And now we're smarter and we're motivated by avoiding that, right? I don't know about you, but it seems like in my own walk with God, God is in the habit of giving me a promise, telling me something. I have this for you. I I want this for you. I want to do this for you, Nick. And I say, man, that's awesome, God. Thank you so much. And I reach out and I, and, and, well, I used to just take it and he slapped my hands a few times and I realized, okay, you don't do that. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. But I said, okay, God, okay, you have this promise for me. And I just, I just put my hands out and I wait and I wait and I wait and I wait. And when he gives it to me, I get so excited. Yes. And then he says, okay, now I want you to kill it. Devil, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. I know God's voice. That's not God's voice. God would never tell me to kill this thing he just gave me. And yet I find, though, in my life, maybe I'm the only one. But I feel like God keeps taking me through a process where things are brought to life and then they die. Hopes and dreams brought to life and then they they die. Gifts so precious and dear that God says, this is for you. And then it comes to the point of death and then even dies. Does anybody in here know what I'm talking about this morning? Am I speaking anybody's language this morning? Jesus established this spiritual principle with his own life. In John chapter 12, Jesus said this. The truth is. A kernel of wheat must be planted in the soil. Unless it dies, it will be alone. A single seed. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who despise their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. All those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me. Because my servants must be where I am. And if they follow me... The Father will honor them. Then Jesus says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from what lies ahead? But that is the very reason why I came. And then he said, Father, bring glory to your name. And then a voice spoke from heaven saying, I've already brought it glory. And I will do it again. Look, I wish I could tell you that once you give your life to Jesus Christ, it will be since... Spent sipping an Arnold Palmer while you're floating the lazy river at Blue Bayou, just just enjoying it. I, I wish that was the case. But it's not. It's not. The truth is that God is glorified through the various types of death. That we go through in life. Jesus himself asked the question. He said. 
Should I ask God to save me from death? But this is the very reason that I came. He knew that for God's will to be carried out, literally, his physical death was necessary. But it raises the question that I've got to ask, for the will of God to be carried out in my life, what deaths are necessary? Well, don't shout me down when I'm preaching truth. (laughs) But the scary thing is, For the will of God to be done in our lives, some things have to die. We have this mentality, though, that we got to avoid death. Isn't there just a pill I can pop, God, to take? Can I just go green, God, and avoid that thing? I know this, over the course of my life, I know that God's going to require the death of more than I could guess. If I were to ask you, well, what do you think God will ask in your life that you would lay down and let die? You might give me five or six things. You might be right on those. But my short experience has taught me that God has a whole other list he's looking at. And that's kind of hard truth, but it's truth. Luke 9, 23, Jesus said, if any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself, disown himself, forget and lose sight of himself and his own interests. Refuse and give up himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me. Conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, dying also. I like to read fast over scriptures like that. Paul understood it. He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, I assure you by the pride which I have in you, your fellowship and union with Christ Jesus our Lord, that... I die daily. I face death every day and I die to self. We don't like to die to ourselves. We don't like to die to our interests. We don't like to, we don't like anything in our lives to die. Because when Rover's dead, there's no more play. Come on, do you hear what I'm saying this morning? But Paul understood this crucified life that Jesus was speaking of. He said, so for this reason, I die daily. Can I tell you that Christianity is far more than a sinner's prayer? Salvation is a prayer. It's as easy as a prayer. And thank God it is as easy as a prayer. But the Christian life, from the day you say that prayer until the end, there's a lot of dying that goes on in that. It's dying to our ideas. But God, I thought it would look like this. It's dying to our opinions. Oh, hello. No, but God, I think it should happen this way. Oh, but God, I think they should be doing that. 
And God just says, I think that opinion should be dying. <sighs> I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about what me and God talk about in our prayer closet. I don't know why you guys are laughing. But isn't it true? It's dying to our plans. It's dying to our agenda. It's even dying to some simple things. I mean, I remember, I remember. Look, I'm a truck guy, okay? I'm just, can I be real with you guys for a minute? I'm a truck guy. Grew up in the deserts of eastern Oregon, man. Four-wheel drive, that's where it's at. And I remember when God called me to follow after him, to leave Oregon State University, go into a ministry training school, and I had zero dollars to follow him, but I had a truck that was worth about the same amount of money I needed to pay for school. Oh, God. But Lord, I helped people move with that truck. God, I pulled people out of the mud with that truck. That was, that was the kingdom work. I, I remember helping my buddy, my friend, he and his wife, they had gotten married and uh, they just had a little car and a little apartment and they said, could we go in your truck to get a Christmas tree? Well, yes, because God blessed me with a truck. And yet sometimes even something so simple like that, God says, I want you to give that up for me. You know, what's sad is that even with little things like that, sometimes we fight kicking and screaming. Now I drive a minivan. <laughs> Glory to God! <laughs> Glory to God! Come, come on, Pastor Brandon, it's right there. Hey, your Sierra's right around the corner, man, I'm telling you. But isn't it true, though? I mean, because of the culture, because how we grow up, because of the lies of the enemy saying, oh, that thing shouldn't die in your life. We tend to live our lives motivated from a mindset of avoiding allowing anything in our lives to die, don't we? What happens, though, when it actually does die? Jairus was motivated to go after Jesus to prevent the death of his daughter. Are you following? His mindset is, if I get a hold of Jesus, it won't die. She won't die. I won't lose this. And yet we see in verse 35 that while they're still speaking, people come from the house and say, Jairus, it's too late. It's too late. That thing you love is dead. As a father, man, I put myself in his shoes and think, God, man. What would I be dealing with? Like, man, if I didn't have to walk so far to get to Jesus. And then, if you know, it was that crowd's fault. There were so many people I had to fight through just to get there. And then, and then, and then we had to walk back. And then I was, just, I was too late, man. I failed her. I, I couldn't do it. I'm, huh. And, you know, not only that, but in the midst of this ordeal... In the midst of Jairus' season where this thing so precious to him is not the point of death. You know what happens? How many of you have read this story? You know the story. Let me share with you that haven't raised your hands. Let's jump back to Mark chapter 5 because something amazing happens in here. You would think, you would think it would put a little kick in Jairus' step. 
Jump back to Mark chapter 5, verse 24. So Jesus goes with Jairus, and a great crowd kept following him and pressed him from all sides, so as almost to suffocate him. And there's a woman who had, who had had a flow of blood of 12 years, who had endured much suffering under the hands of many physicians, and spent all that she had, and she was no better, but instead grew worse. And she'd heard the reports concerning Jesus, and she came up behind him in the throng and touched his garment. For she kept saying, if I only touch his garments, I shall be restored to health. And immediately, her flow of blood was dried up at the source. And suddenly, she felt in her body that she was healed of her distressing ailment. And Jesus, recognizing in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, he turned around immediately in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples kept saying to him, you see the crowd pressing hard around you from all sides? And you ask, Who touched you? I mean, come on, Jesus. But still he kept looking around to see her who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had been done for her, though alarmed and frightened and trembling, she fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, your trust and confidence in me springing from faith in God has restored you to health. Go in peace and be continually healed and freed from your distressing bodily disease. And while he was still speaking, there came some from the ruler's house who said to Jairus, your daughter has died. Why bother and distress the teacher any further? Now, now this makes the story a little bit different. From my perspective, reading the Bible, I can say, well, Jairus, you just, you, you, you need a miracle. You're on your way to go to your daughter and you see a miracle. You ought to be pumped up. Right? How many of you are thinking that? You read that, oh man, Jairus ought to know he's got this thing in the bag. But how many of you know we have this little putz in our lives called the devil? The adversary. And how many of you know he loves to play on the things that God is doing? He loves to misrepresent it and twist up what we're thinking about what's going on here. And I can see Jairus saying, well, okay, great. I mean, Jesus only got so much to give and you just took it all up. I mean, you're an adult. You've been living your life. My daughter is just a little girl. And you had to come and take up all of his power and delay us. I'm sure, I'm sure he's thinking, come on, Jesus. I mean, look. Okay, she's healed. Just be happy. Can we keep moving on? Please, crowds, get back. Back, back. My daughter's dying here. Don't we act like that when it's us? Leave me alone. Don't you know what God's... I'm dying inside. Don't tell me about your breakthrough. I'm hurting. Oh, you're delaying me. I got to get going. Come on, Jesus, over here, over here. I can see the devil putting thoughts in Jairus' mind. We know if Jesus really cared about your daughter, he wouldn't have allowed things to interrupt his plans. You know, if Jesus really cared about your situation, he'd have sent the crowds away so it was just you and him. Come on, doesn't the devil do that to us? Here God is giving Jairus a miracle. 
saying, in case, Jairus, in case you're worried about how things are going to go, let me show you what I can do on the way. And the devil jumps on that and misrepresents it. Jairus is like, ah, come on. Doesn't that happen in our lives? The devil says, oh, man, you know, God's ways. Look, he's blessing everybody but you. Everybody's living. You're the only one dying. They're advancing faster than you, getting their breakthroughs better than you. You're gone and forgotten. You're not even on God's radar. Doesn't the devil tell us that? And then we begin to think, you know, we think of the scripture like Isaiah 55. We, we begin to say, yeah, yeah, because, I mean, we know that, like, you know, the Bible says that God's thoughts are not my thoughts and his ways are not my ways. And, and I mean, a delay can't be God and death can't be God. And, and so, oh, oh, no, what's going on? What's going on? And I'm telling you that verse is in there because you're not going to figure it out is what God's trying to tell you. You're not going to figure out what I'm doing. But like Jesus said to Jairus, he said, hey, I got to get to it, man. I got to get to it. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's just good. Overhearing, verse 36 in Mark 5, overhearing, but ignoring what they said. I love that. Just, I just love Jesus. He's awesome. Ignoring what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear. Only keep on believing me. Listen, I know I'm preaching to somebody in here. You feel like things in your life are dying. Only keep on believing. Ignore your own thoughts. Only keep on believing. Ignore your own feelings. Only keep on believing. Why? Because death is not what any of us think. It's not. I don't know if you've realized this yet, but death is not what any of us think. How many of you in your life, you could raise your hand and say, yeah, God asked me to let this thing die, and it actually ended up being good afterwards. Proof that death is not what you think. I, I can raise both my hands, count my toes, wiggle my ears. The number of times that God has asked me to lay something down, it's like, no, that's not good, God. That thing needs to live. And once it's dead, I'm like, glory to God. Death is not what any of us think. In case you're not believing me, let me give you some scripture that reminds us of who's actually in control of death. Because, you know, to a kid, when your toy breaks, when Rover's legs are falling off and the stuffing's coming out, that's devil. That's the, the devil did that to Rover. And then I, I get to be 33 years old and I'm living for the Lord, but I still have this mindset of, Things are breaking. That's the devil. He's not in control of death like we think. Let me lay some scripture out here for you. Just so you know. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 10.4, for Christ has accomplished the whole purpose of the law. All who believe in him are made right with God. Romans 8.1 and 2, therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I like that one. Hebrews 2.14, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. 
2 Timothy 1.10, now he has made all of this plain to us by the coming of Christ Jesus, our Savior, who broke the power of death and showed us the way to everlasting life through the good news. Listen, if that's a bit too much for you, I can sum it up with Psalm 49.15. But as for me, God will redeem my life. He will snatch me from the power of death. I know you feel like you're dying, but can I tell you the devil's not in control of that. Your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, knows what he's doing. He is right on time. He is in the thick of things right now with you. And he's the one in control. That might not make your emotions feel any better. It might not make the situation actually change for the better yet. But you and I have got to live from truth in our spirit. Right here. Though a thousand may fall at my right hand and ten thousand on my left side, I will not fear because right here I know that God is in control. He's broken devil's power of death over my life. And if things are dying, it's not because the devil's strong. It's not because he's somehow overcome and defeated the plans of God for me. Listen, we are not in a war with two great but equal opposing forces. It's not some yin-yang thing where the forces of evil are, are right here at the same level as the forces of good. And sometimes one's a little higher and sometimes one's a little lower. But no, you've got to remind yourselves that God will redeem your life. He will snatch you from the power of death because Jesus has conquered everything and put death and hell under his feet. And you got to live from here. We view death as the end of a thing, whereas death, God views death as the means to his end. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 36. Paul, again, going back to the idea of planting seeds so that they die, so that they live. 1 Corinthians 15, 36. You foolish man, every time you plant seed... You sow something that does not come to life germinating and springing up and growing unless it dies first. Nor is the seed you sow then the body which it is going to have after. But it's a naked kernel, perhaps of wheat or some of the rest of the grains. But God gives to it the body that he plans and sees fit. To each kind, a seed of seed, a body of its own. God looks at each one of us and he sees what we're supposed to be. And he says, if this thing that, that is right now dies, then it can become what it's supposed to be. And the problem is, though, 90% of the time when you and I look in the mirror, we see the seed right now. And we're thinking, hey, this is it. This is pretty good. I like this. And God sees this right now and says, that's the thing I'm trying to kill. So that my life can really flow through it. Man, that's a big pill to swallow. All too often, come on, how many times? God's trying to kill stuff in our lives and we're blaming the devil. We're fighting and we're quoting scripture and we're standing on the promises and resisting everything. And all along, God's just trying to put it to death. I mean, 
If Jesus said of his own death that it was to the Father's glory, then what must we conclude for any death that God puts us through? If God the Father, I heard it said like this, (laughs) if God the Father was willing to bring the hammer down on Jesus, what makes you think he'll think twice about bringing it down on you? It's to, his fa- it's to the Father's glory that he puts to death some things in our lives. It's to the Father's glory. Can I tell you some encouraging news? If the devil understood the power and the glory of God that is released when something dies, he would stop it at all costs. You don't believe me? 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You understand, if the if the devil would have understood... The necessity of Jesus dying on the cross, if he would have understood that the death of Jesus on the cross was going to undo his kingdom, he would have moved heaven and earth if he could to keep Jesus alive. But he doesn't understand. So he tries to kill, to steal and destroy. He overplays his hand every single time. He can look at your life and and he can see, okay, God's hand is on them. I recognize that God's trying to do something in them. But he doesn't have this foresight to understand. He's not omniscient and realize he doesn't know what God's doing. And so his answer is, he's always thinking, well, I I better take them out. I better kill that thing that they enjoy. And I believe this. The devil doesn't even recognize when he's being played by God. I mean, in the, in the, in the, in the cosmic scheme of things, God knew that Jesus had to die. Jesus knew that he had to die. They even said it out loud. In the garden. They knew it. So there, Jesus and God, they're sitting back saying, alright, should I say God take me from this? Mm-mm, for this reason I came. And the devil's over here thinking, oh, I got him now, I got him now, I got him now. Hammer them nails in that cross. I'm killing Jesus. And it's, I mean, I can see God like, I got him again. Oh, man. That devil cracks me up. Angels, Gabe, 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 check this out. Look. The devil thinks he's winning. Against me! <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's the same thing for your life. It's the exact same thing. There's miracles going on in this church all the time. All the time. Cancer's being healed, tumors being removed. Dead being brought back to life. I mean, all kind of stuff is going on. And yet the devil will try to tell you, oh, but God's, he ran out for you. 
Oh, this thing that's dying in your life. This dream. This promise of God, it's dying in your life. And you begin to just like, oh no, I can't let it die. I can't let it die. And the devil doesn't know what he's doing. Not fully, no way. No way. If he knew what he was doing, he wouldn't have put Jesus to death. But he doesn't understand the power and the glory that's released in that. And in the same way, if he understood that God was playing him, he wouldn't be messing with your life like he's messing with your life. That ought to free somebody up right there. Listen to this. 1 Peter 1.23. I, I mean, I got to tell you this. This is good news. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.23, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. What's incorruptible mean? It cannot die. It cannot die. What that means for you and I is we are born again and God has put incorruptible seed inside of us. And he may have given you a promise. He may have said your children are going to do this and you don't see it. It seems like that promise is dying. If it's from God, it's incorruptible. He may have given you a hope. I'm, I'm going to do this with your life. You're going to go here. You're going to do that. You're going to see these people, whatever. And it may seem like all that stuff is dying. If it was God, it's incorruptible. He may have said, I'm going to use you for that. I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Even though it may seem like it's dying, let it die because it's of an incorruptible seed. Are you tracking with me? Anything that's in you that's of the flesh, you want to die. You don't want to waste your whole life trying to keep something alive that's all your own efforts. But if God gives you a promise, if he gives you his word on something, there's incorruptible seed in that. And even though it may die, it has to come back to life because it's incorruptible seed. Which brings me back to Jairus. The word of God must come back from the dead. And Jesus says to Jairus, Do not be seized with alarm and struck with fear. Only keep on believing. Verse 37 of Mark chapter 5. He permitted no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they arrived at the house of the ruler of the synagogue, he looked carefully and with understanding at the tumult. The people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he'd gone in, he said to them, why do you make an uproar and weep? The little girl is not dead, but is sleeping. And they laughed and jeered at him. But he put them all out and taking the child's father and mother and those who were with him, he went in where the little girl was lying. And gripping her firmly by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which translated as little girl, I say to you, arise from the sleep of death. And instantly the girl got up and started walking around, for she was 12 years old. And they were utterly astonished and overcome with amazement. Can I tell you something this morning? That death does not concern Jesus like it concerns us. Not in the same way. Jesus, in all of his dealings with you and I, is never motivated by the avoidance of death. 
He's not motivated by doing something so that you and I avoid a death of a thing. He wasn't motivated to avoid death. No, he embraced the cross. And he says this in Revelation 1.18. He said, I am the living one who died. Look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus is the final authority over what lives and dies in our lives. He is. And so to engage in worship of Jesus is actually to engage in the highest form of warfare that you can engage in. Because what you're doing when you begin to worship Jesus, understanding, okay, Jesus, you are in control. You hold death. You hold life. It's in your hands. You've conquered it all. You're in control. God, if this thing that you're asking me to die, if you really placed it in here, then it must come back because it's of incorruptible seed. It will come back from the dead. If it's not, you're still in control. So instead of trying to like fight the devil, I'll just worship Jesus and let the chips fall where they lie. Because I don't have to resurrect a thing. Jesus is the resurrection. I don't have to speak a word to it. Jesus has already spoken an incorruptible word to it. I don't have to tore, tear my hair out. I don't have to call on the phone and get 25 million people praying, although you can do that. All I got to do is worship Jesus. He's the authority. We see this in Scripture from beginning to end. God gives Abraham Isaac, and then God says, kill him. And what does Abraham say? I'm going to worship. David, a man after God's own heart, makes a mistake, fasts and prays for a son who's sick. The son dies. And what does David say? I think I'm going to go worship. Job loses everything in a day. What does he say? I think I'm just going to go worship. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A man with leprosy, his life is dying, comes to Jesus' feet and he worships. Canaanite woman with a sick daughter falls at Jesus' feet and worships. Can I tell you that you can just simply worship Because what's in you is of an incorruptible seed. I'm telling you. I know. Listen, I feel it in my spirit so strong. I know that you feel like you're dying. I know that there are things in your life. There are dreams in your life. There are are plans that you're like, God, I know that I know that I know that I heard you say this. I know that. I feel it. I'm telling you, I I am in it with you. I know you feel like things are dying. But I'm telling you, you can worship because God has said things to you. And you can go ahead and quit fighting to keep it alive. You can let it die because it's in there of an incorruptible seed. And when you just begin to worship Jesus, God will bring it back and when it comes back you'll be able to say blessed be the name of the Lord look what he has done it was to the father's glory that this thing has come back what I could have done with it would have done this but what God did with it he multiplied it he reached farther than I could have reached he did more than I could have done he touched more lives than I ever would have touched all because I finally got it through my head that I don't have to fight to keep it alive I can let this thing die it's of incorruptible seed God will bring it back What does that mean? That means your marriage has got to come back. That means your finances, they've got to come back. 
It means that child, they've got to come back. It means your health, it has to come back. It means that job, it has to come back. It means that God will bring it back from the dead because it's his word. Amen, young preacher. That's good preaching. I'm telling you. I'm preaching this because I'm in it right now. If you only knew. It's like, 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 like ministers, like, you know, preachers will say, God, if it's just for one person, I'll preach it. If there's just one person this message touches. Look, I already know who this message is touching. It's the guy on the platform right now. Ah. Let it die. Let it die. I'm telling you, that thing you've been fighting. I don't know if it's a hope, it's if, it's, if it's a dream, if it's a, if it's a job. If it's a, a promise of God, yet you're fighting so hard for it. I'm telling you this morning, let it die. God will bring it back from the dead. He'll bring it back from the dead. But you've got to let it die. I close with this. At 33 years old, I don't play with Rover the radio pup anymore. Uh, I know that's shocking. But you know what happened is, you know, mom would fix it, sew it back up, and it was back from the dead, and I'd play with it some more. But after a while, it just kind of lost something on me. I don't know if I progressed to blowing up G.I. Joes with M80s or what, but after a while, just Rover wasn't everything to me that he was. But you know something? At 33 years of age, when I look at my mom and my dad and the things that they have done for me, time in and time out, I'm closer to them than ever. And I found that that's really God's intention with the things that he asks me to let die. He's given me back several things, several things that he asked me to kill. I said I drive a minivan. I also... Got a truck again. But you know that truck doesn't mean to me what trucks used to mean? He brought it back, but it doesn't have that same power over me anymore. I find that even though it's back from the dead, I'd really just rather have Jesus. God will bring you back from the dead. He will bring your dreams back. He will bring those promises back. He'll bring that lost finances back. He'll bring that job back that you lost. He'll bring it back a hundredfold, way better than you ever thought. But can I tell you, I really, the biggest thing he's going to bring back from the dead is you and your love for him. That's what he's trying to do. 
Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I've asked the worship team to come back. And here's what we're going to do this, this morning. Is we're going to worship Jesus just a little bit more. Because you know what I find? Even, even me. Even me. Sometimes I'm just so t- tempted to say, alright, that was a good word, now let me out of here. Because I'm just made of the same flesh you are. Because I know that if I'm challenged, if I'm challenged to really start surrendering again in worship, if I'm challenged to really start opening my heart up again in worship, that might be the final nail in the coffin of that thing that God's trying to die, killing me. God wants us to worship him this morning. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to ask my altar workers to come forward this morning. Because we're going to do a a, a combo, a one-two punch. We're going to have an altar call and a worship session all at once. So if my altar workers would come down this morning, line the front and be ready to pray. I have some really specific instructions from the Lord. God wants to bring you back from the dead this morning. He wants to bring it all back from the dead. The first place he wants to bring you back from the dead is this. From a dead relationship with God. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians that before before we give our lives to Christ, we're actually recipients of his wrath. We're against him. We're not aware of his life. We're dead to his life. And if you are not in a right relationship with God, he wants to bring that back from the dead. That's why I have altar workers down here. This morning, if you would say, man, I'm not even right with God. If I were to die today, I don't know that I would go to heaven. You need to come down and pray with one of these altar workers and say, would you pray with me that God would save me? But I know this. There's another group of people in here today. You feel like stuff is dying in your life. You feel like every promise, every dream, everything that God ever told you for, told you about, you feel like he's asking that you would let it all die. And you need to come down to this altar and say, God, I'm just going to worship you. And if this is the final nail in the coffin, so be it. You are worthy, God. You are worthy, God. So now, as the worship team plays and sings, we're going to sing along. We're going to join in worship. But I'm inviting you to come down here to worship the Lord. I'm inviting you to come down here and ask one of these men of God to pray with you. I'm inviting you to come down here that as you worship... God will bring you back from the dead. Amen? Let's worship.
Jesus. Jesus, I just pray over your church this morning. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring passion back from the dead. Lord, that you'd bring a hunger and thirst for your kingdom back from the dead. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you'd bring those relationships back from the dead. That you'd bring finances back from the dead this morning. That you'd bring that job back from the dead. Father, I pray for the relationships, relationships, relationships. God, bring it back from the dead. Lord, I pray that as your people would press in and worship, press in to trust you, press in to say, Jesus, you're in control. I'm not going to fight the process. I'm not going to fight your ways. I'm not going to be played by the enemy, but I'm going to worship you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you bring it back from the dead. Purpose. Passion. Destiny. I call it back from the dead in the people of God this morning. Lord, I thank you. I praise you for your word. I praise you for these people, God. Lord, I I praise you for this church. Lord, it's the most wonderful group of people I've ever been involved with, ever, God. Lord, I praise you for this amazing house, family life, church. God, continue to let your spirit rest upon your people. Continue to let your presence be with the people of God and rest upon this house of God. Lord, as we leave here today, Let your tangible presence go with us, we pray. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.